Amen. Remain standing for the text from which I'll be preaching this morning from the fifth chapter of Matthew, beginning at verse 10, as we now come full orb into the Beatitudes at its final and concluding Beatitude. Now hear the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, how thankful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit that does enter this world through your people to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Open our eyes now this day that we might see with greater clarity through the eyes of faith and not through the eyes of man. We pray that we would stand firmly upon the promises knowing what you have declared to be the end, knowing that you know the end from the beginning and have moved everything in the course of this history and have placed us and brought our lives into your providence to use us in the kingdom of light where we have salvation of our souls and we are instruments of righteousness for your great name's sake. So empower this message with your spirit, drive it deeply into our hearts and bring forth much fruit from it. For the sake and the name of Jesus our Savior we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In ancient days, it was customary for kings to go out into battle, and kings would lead their troops right out on the battlefield, risking their own lives for the sake of the realm. It is a rare occasion, if at all, and I have not been able to find a battle, though I'm not extremely exhaustive in my understanding of history, If there ever was two opposing kings on the same battlefield where the king slew the other king. Now perhaps there is, but I'm just unaware of it. I know of some very close calls. I know where kings have gone against the kings, but one of the leaders, generals, or commander of the army, or one of the soldiers actually took the other king out. But kings died on the battlefield. The larger the campaign, the more battle lines there were, and often when the king was killed, there were still skirmishes that continued even long after the ultimate battle was won. When the king dies on the battlefield, that army loses. Now there's something in this beatitude that sounds a bit different from the rest. However, nonetheless... It is a characteristic, it is an attribute, it is a description of a person in God's kingdom. It is a description of kingdom character or attribute. We've now come full-orbed in the character of a a Christian as Jesus described those who were truly in His kingdom. Starting with poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom, we now end with the same assurance and the same promise as we come to this last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. 
Here we have a view of the kingdom. And in fact, this is nestled in the context where when John the Baptist came, he came preaching the kingdom. And he was the forerunner. So when Jesus, who is the king, came, John pointed to him and says, here he is. And the kingdom is here. The kingdom drew near with the presence of the king. And Jesus began His first, this great sermon on the mount, if you will. This sermon that we have entered into in the presence of His disciples preaching the kingdom. And it's in that context that we find these beatitudes finding their meaning and interpretation as a description of the kingdom. We have in this beatitude a description by way of implied truth that will be true for all Christians that they will be persecuted. A true Christian in the kingdom will be persecuted and he will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now I'm preaching this message in two Parts And today we're getting some groundwork laid because in the light of the groundwork, we're going to go back and flesh out some of the meat on the bones next Lord's Day as we think about even some wrong reasons why Christians are persecuted. And it's not for righteousness sake, but for those who are being persecuted for righteousness sake, they have great reward. That persecution... For the cause of righteousness takes many forms, and it's not my intent to go into the various degrees of those persecutions, whether it be life or property taken, or status of a job position that is hindered or disassociated from your family and ostracized from community of loved ones, or perhaps maybe it takes the form of just being made fun of or talked about or gossiped about or whispered behind. What form, whether it be from verbal to physical, the righteous will be persecuted. So there is an expectation being set here about our character and the fallout that will occur. This is not negative. It is not um, something that we should be discouraged about. It is not something that we should feel defeated. It is not something we go around kicking the can, wondering, oh my, what's going on? What's going to happen? This is not something in any way, shape, or form that is given to us to discourage, but quite the contrary, to set our expectation with what's going on so that we will have great joy and exceeding happiness. It is only those in the kingdom that can have this joy in the midst of great battle. My objective this morning in part one of this message is to help us to see with spiritual eyes because we are too often seeing with natural eyes and too often respond in ways that our minds will think but what the Scripture has not declared. And I'm hoping that our minds can be opened through the eyes of faith that we can see those things that our eyes cannot see, that we can lay hold on those things of which are and the reality which is and the promises which will come to pass as the Lord brings them and uses them in our lives. You cannot live a Christian life by sight. We walk and live by faith. 
And it is my hope this morning that your faith will be strengthened so that you can see the victory. You can walk in that victory knowing that when you're persecuted, you can leave and you can rejoice from that time of persecution knowing that your reward is very great. Because we too easily judge matters from a natural-minded perspective. But we have a kingdom to keep in mind. And we have a kingdom that we have been enjoined to. We have a kingdom that is characterized by joy and happiness here spoken of in all of these beatitudes. And we've got a kingdom to be doing business in. So let's unpack a bit more of what's going on here. First of all, we need to understand that this world on which our feet now stand all around us is a world that is in hostile rebellion against God and Jesus Christ. In hostile rebellion against God. Now, your eyes might look around and you say, well, I don't really see it that way. And what you need to see is how God says it is. This is true. And it's very important for you and for the sake of your own joy to grasp this truth and to understand it from God's perspective, how He has revealed this to you, or else you're going to be discouraged. Jesus Himself came into this world with a bounty on His head because... He was righteous. The very reason His life was sought out after to be destroyed when He was first born and had to flee to Egypt. When He came back and had to go up near Nazareth. The very reason was because He was perfectly righteous. And he informed his people in first John or in John 15:20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now there's some understanding, there's some background to that statement. He says again in John 15:18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I'm setting some expectation here. I'm helping identify some things. Christians are persecuted for righteousness, for the sake of their loyalty to Christ. If the world hates Christ, it will hate you. And you should never try to gain their favor or make it palatable for them on their terms. But why is this world hostile against God? Because there is a great cosmic battle that has been on this earth since the fall of mankind into sin. A great cosmic battle a proportion of which the likes of which we have never seen 
that the world has never known except for this great thing that is going on that we do not see with the natural eyes. In the beginning, when God created man in His own image, He gave man to have dominion over all of the face of the world. And He says, and be fruitful and multiply and take dominion and have dominion. But dominion as God's representative. Under His Creator. And in the fall of man into sin, he listened and he heeded the voice of Satan over against the Word from God. And in doing so, man forfeited his place of dominion over all of the earth, and Satan took up his throne here. When you read of the many historical occasions throughout history where an intruder and his armies invade a foreign land in order to gain control and to take the throne and set up their dominion over it, you're simply reading the pattern and seeing a replay of what was going on at the beginning when man fell into sin. It is this great defeat over mankind. And in this great defeat over mankind, Satan and his armies have taken control here. In other words, mankind's dominion has been displaced with demonic dominion upon this world. And no longer was the earth ruled by humans, but by fallen invisible angels in the spirit realm. And there's where your eyes need to be opened. But in this great fall of mankind, something very wonderful happened, as horrible as it was. God immediately acted. And He immediately acted to restore man to the place of His dominion on the earth. This restoration of man's dominion would not happen overnight, and it would not happen with that first Adam that fell. God would bring forth another Adam. The word Adam in the Hebrew means mankind. God would bring forth another Adam over mankind, representative, a new head of a new race, and through whom the entire world would be brought under the reign and the dominion of man once again. Under God. So in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, we know the old story when the woman took of the fruit and she did eat and she gave the fruit to her husband and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened. The Lord goes looking figuratively, wandering figuratively through the garden knowing what man had done, and now he confronts man. And the woman blames the serpent, and the man blames the woman, and everybody's blame-shifting everybody. But in Genesis 3.14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than all every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And, and, 
And I, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Before God addresses the woman, before God even talks to man, He takes man back to His side in this great battle. And now that Satan has taken control of the earth, God establishes an enmity between Himself and Satan. And because we know the fuller revelation, we know that the seed of the woman was God Himself in Jesus Christ. It is this Jesus Christ, God Himself, that is incarnate as a man that the Apostle Paul calls the last Adam. Who would crush the head of the serpent and restore man's dominion here under God. And in doing so, a new dynasty, the dynasty of Christ, would also gain dominion over all of the spiritual invisible forces that have invaded the land to control it. There was far more going on here than what your eyes could see. There was far more going on here than just relates to humanity God, the great creator and sovereign of all of the universe, dealt with this small part of his creation here on earth to be the place of a great battle of cosmic proportion. And it was a battle that would include both the physical creation and the visible creation and the invisible creation. It would include humans, and it would include angels. And it is here that He would send His own Son, fully God Himself, and also would become fully human, and a great mystery of godliness. In order to restore man's dominion in the earth to its rightful place, Here is what God has done in Jesus Christ. But also to put man who was made a little lower than the angels in an elevated position that he had not been in before so that in the end man himself would judge even angels. What God was doing here on earth between the seed of the woman, the God-man, And the seed of the serpent, this lineage of the Satan, was to change a dynasty, to judge the spiritual forces that had also fallen and elevate man to a place that he had not yet been. What a glorious scheme. What a glorious History, even in the midst of something that was horrible and heinous, the bright glitter and glory and light of God shines forth through it all to show that man was now going to be made something that he had not even been made before and he did not deserve it, but in Christ we have a seat in the heavenlies and we will even judge angels. That is why there is so much more that is going on here that your eyes cannot see. And when you judge things by your natural mind, or you judge things according to the way you see things, you are often and most often wrong, and you cannot 
have the right interpretation. There are spiritual forces working in darkness. And there is a great cosmic battle going on here upon the earth. And it is in this great battle that God establishes the great antithesis. I will put enmity between this side and this side. Between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, there will be enmity and hostility. Two great strong sides that are contrary one to another. Good and evil. Light and dark. Truth and lie. The entire Old Testament is filled with the expansion of this great antithesis that took place and had its beginning in Genesis 3.15. Now Satan and his forces are angels. They are not humankind. They are not of the race of Adam. They are not God. They do not have the attributes of God, even though they are in a spiritual and invisible realm that we do not see. Satan and his forces are angels that have rebelled against God, their creator, fallen from a state of original righteousness into a state of wickedness. And as they fell, they sought to set up their realm here. There is an invisible creation as vast and as real as the earthly physical creation you see around us. And we often forget about that and we often become unaware of that. And it is my hope this day that we will become more aware of that. In speaking of our Lord, Savior, the Creator, and our Redeemer, in Colossians 1.16, it says, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And that invisible creation that we do not see but is real is present and living here among us. And there are two sides to this invisible creation. There is a dark side and there is a side with light. There is an evil side and there is a side with good. The angelic world is more powerful and a higher order of creation than is humanity. And for thousands of years, the dark side of this spiritual realm was triumphant and winning a cosmic battle here on earth. They could do so because angels are of a stronger order than humans. The true war was really happening, however, in the spiritual realm. In the invisible realm where you cannot see. And what you observe here with your eyes is only the outworking of what is going on behind the scenes where your eye cannot see. While it is always a mistake to try to fight fire by pouring water merely on the smoke. 
So it's a mistake to engage in this cosmic battle with earthly weapons because it will not work. The battle is too strong for you. Your enemies are greater than you. And you cannot defeat them alone. In other words, you will never win a spiritual battle with a sword. You will never win a spiritual battle with politics. You will never win a spiritual battle in this realm with anything that is earthly or of this world. This great cosmic battle is neither fought nor won with earthly or physical implements. And what you observe here on earth is the outworking of something greater. What you're seeing here on this earth is something which has its source that goes far beyond it. In 1 John 5.19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. He is called the God of this age and the prince of the power of the air. And there are dominions and hierarchies within this angelic realm of spiritual darkness at battle and at war. And while there was a seed of the serpent who had established his throne on the earth, there was another dynasty once defeated in Genesis 3 and fallen. But a dynasty of humanity that would rise again. And that dynasty would one day defeat not only every one of humans' foes and enemies, but God's. And it would defeat this great satanic dynasty that has taken up residence here for so many millennium. So what you have here are two dynasties, two lineages that have claimed the throne here by inheritance. You have heirs to the throne. You have the seed of the serpent and you have the seed of the woman. And both will play out their reign and kingdom here on earth through people. The seed of the serpent is a principled lineage, but it plays out in life through actual people. The first hint of this that we have between this enmity and this great cosmic battle comes into play in Adam and Eve's children of Cain and Abel. And John, in his first epistle, later comments on that very thing when he says in 1 John 3.12, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, murdered his brother. He first of all clarifies that Cain was of the lineage of the serpent. He was of the wicked one and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? It says because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. And the dominion of the evil one and under the sway and the power of Satan is battling and it comes to even bloodshed in the physical realm because of righteousness. G. 
Jesus saw this same thing with the Pharisees who were the religious zealots of the day. And in John 8, he says, you do the deeds of your father. And he's again pointing to a lineage, a dynasty. And he's only identifying two here in this passage. You are, you do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have but one Father, God. And they're saying, we are here. And Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your Father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, Cain and Abel, and does not stand in the truth, back to the garden fall, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But I I tell you the truth, and you do not believe me. He is showing right here the great antithesis of this great cosmic battle. The very seed of the woman himself is declaring that these are not of his lineage, but of the other. And that is why there was contention right then between this great battle that was going on. So spiritual battles do take place in this realm and through actual men, but the true nature of the battle transcends it and is beyond it. That is why you will never defeat this enemy. You will never win a battle in this realm in earthly means or in physical implements. But the fate of this earth has been sealed as promised by God. In the one, in the one who would come from the woman, a dynasty of a new order of mankind. It is a new race. It is a a new kind of people altogether of a different sort. And that is why the character that we've been studying in these Beatitudes is quite contrary and cannot even be a part of the realm of this world or of unregenerate people. There are imposters that may feign a look of it, but the true character is not of it. It is truly a different race of people. It is a people who are under Christ and a people who are in Christ. It is a people of God the Father and who know the truth and the truth has set them free. And they stand in truth against the lies of the enemy and they are light even as He is light. So when Jesus came to the earth, He was God Himself, and yet He was born of a woman. He was the long-awaited seed of the woman who this world has awaited for and creation has waited for for thousands of years. And He would now reign and regain the dominion of man here upon the earth that God had given Him in the garden. But now it's more glorious while the battle still is to be fought. Now, before he left heaven, we have pictures of this all throughout Scripture. Before he left heaven, angels worshipped him. In fact, in 
Isaiah chapter 6, when we have this great picture when Isaiah is before the throne room and, and the angels, the, the cherubim and the seraphim are, are flying with six wings and they covered their, their face and they covered their feet and with two they did fly and they cried out, holy, holy, holy. And, and here they are bowing reverence and worshiping the great king of glory whose train fills the temple and whose glory goes throughout all the world. And now we have this great shaking in heaven itself so that Isaiah falls down and worships the one who sits upon the throne. It is John who identifies that one who sat upon the throne as Jesus. Angels were worshiping him. They have been from all of eternity and they will be for all of eternity. He was over all of the angelic realm. He was over all of the invisible. He created the invisible realm. It is all under His sovereign power. And when He came to earth, that fact did not change, even though He was made a little lower than the angels in His humanity. He was still very God. A very God. He would remain over this angelic world and He would establish His reign and dominion here that would be in man over the angels. That is why he's demonstrating this so many times when he is casting out demons and they're subject to him. And he, and he sends them into the swine and he sends them yonder and he sends them there and they cry out. They know who he is, O son of David. And they're, they're knowing the dynasty from which he come to, to claim and they know their fate to some degree at that time. But he's taken as the last Adam and elevating His people, this new race, even above some of these angels so that we will even judge them one day. And yet, when He came and casting out demons, it was of He that whom it was spoke by the Pharisees on one occasion that they faulted Him for being the chief of the demons. They faulted Him for being the seed of the serpent. Matthew chapter 12, it says, Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, and it's speaking about him casting out demons. This man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God is upon you. And then he says, or how can a... One enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Jesus was acknowledging this great spiritual warfare. And in some sense, even those that were confronting him acknowledged and understood it as well. And as part of the reason he was casting out the demons was to show that his kingdom authority transcended just even the humanity and earthly things, but it even affected all of the invisible realm that had infected this place. And the strong man in the figure here is Satan. And he had this house. 
He had taken up this house and residence here, and He has the goods of this earth. And Jesus says, How can a man enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless first he binds the strong man? And that's exactly the imagery. Jesus is the one that comes in to bind the strong man and to plunder his goods. And he will shortly, in the time in which he is speaking here, bind the strong man in order to plunder the realm, in order to take the spoil which was rightfully his to begin with. And when Jesus came to the earth, it was to take dominion and cast out the forces of darkness that had pervaded it for so many generations. And as you can imagine, this was not well received. Why in John chapter 3, verse 19, he says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. He's giving us some reason why right here you will be persecuted for righteousness. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The opposing kingdoms of Satan and Jesus were characterized by dark and light, by lie and truth, and by wickedness and righteousness. And it is those very elements that clash. Lie goes up against truth, darkness against light, and wickedness opposes righteousness. And Jesus, who is the light and the truth and righteousness, comes into a world where He was not welcome. And not only was he himself righteous, the entirety of his kingdom would be characterized by that trait because it is a scepter of righteousness would be the scepter of his kingdom. When Jesus entered this world, he entered a very hostile place at enmity with God and righteousness. And the big showdown came on that day when Jesus was crucified upon the cross. And it was here that Satan lashed out with the first blow, thinking that he had won, and it seemed like a defeat, but it was really a strategic win. Because there on the cross, he took the sins of his people and bore them on his own back, and he died the death that God had prescribed for for the wages of sin as death. And then on that great triumphant victory came three days later when he arose from the dead and Jesus had triumphed over sin. He triumphed over the devil. He triumphed over death. He triumphed over the world and every bit of evil. And now the antithesis has given way to a new dynasty and Jesus says, my kingdom is set up here and it will grow. And it will grow at the expense of Satan's kingdom, even as a grain of mustard or a seed of mustard will grow into a beautiful tree. As leaven will leaven the whole lump of the whole earth here, it has been growing since his ascension and exaltation and the sending of his spirit to do just that. 
And that is why Colossians 2.15 says in this death and resurrection of Christ, having disarmed principalities and powers, and he's speaking about that spiritual realm, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. So it is crucially important for the Christians to understand the nature in the realm of the battle and to know what Christ has done. While evil pervades around us, we are not discouraged about it. Because Jesus said in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And while the war has been won and the victor has been claimed and named, there are battles and skirmishes here that still go on, and we are left to fight these battles in order that Christ and His kingdom and dominion will continue to grow until righteousness covers this world, and you have been particularly chosen for the battles that He will bring to you in order for righteousness to win the victory. So yes, there will be persecution in this life. There will be persecutions in all of this. There will be suffering for it. And that's why Jesus warned us about the cost of discipleship. But we're on the winning side. And we have work to do in this fighting against the forces of darkness. You have a battle station that He has assigned you in this kingdom, in the 21st century, in this place, in this community, in this church, in your life, with your family, and with this congregation. You have a battle station. And when you live your lives for Jesus, for the cause of righteousness, the battles will come to you. You don't have to go looking for them. When you walk in the light, exposing the deeds of darkness by the way you live, by the way you breathe and have your being, it will generate problems. But these problems are opportunities for Christ to advance His kingdom in you, through you, and with you. And that's why He wants us not to be surprised about these things and to understand them in a glorious way that He has revealed. Do not be sorrowful, brethren, but be joyful, for great is your reward. He's not turning this into a morbid discouragement for the Christian. In fact, He's just telling us the things that are so that we can be the joyful when we go through it and know the Spirit of God has given us the victory in Christ. Do not be surprised by contentions. And what he is saying here is, when you watch Fox News, or CNN, or whatever you choose to watch, or whatever you choose to listen to, don't go around ranting and raving about all the discouraging and all the people, because even the best news commentaries and the most conservative views are still, by and large, unregenerate of the world. And they're going to give you a view and a thing and the way people think and the way people act that can be discouraging. And you throw your hands up. Why do they think that way? Jesus said, don't get upset about that. 
I know Christians that listen to talk radio and they get all up in arms and all upset and they get all agitated in their spirit. And Jesus is saying, I've told you these things. I told you these things. And you're just getting all upset. No, 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 no. I told you these things that you might have joy. And you're just being caught up in the earthly things, in the ways of the world, because you are seeing the things the way they see them, and you're beginning to think that the way that the battles are won are the ways that the world thinks it can be won. And there is something far beyond that that is going on that you can take and look to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that He has claimed the dominion here, and that He is winning things far beyond the political realm and far beyond the earthly realm, because what He is doing is something grander which our eyes cannot see and we have to stand upon those promises knowing that we serve King Jesus and that He does take the victory and in Him we win. It's got to be His way. You've got to see it with His eyes. And you've got to do it His way. And you've got to trust Him. When things look bad and dismal all around us, you've got to look to the promises and what He has said is the end and where it's all going. He does not want you to be discouraged. Jesus does not want you to be frustrated with life. That is not His plan. That is not His will. He does not want you to be down on life. He doesn't want you to be uh, going through the slow of despond. He wants you to be joyful and lively and happy so that in prison at midnight, you too can sing the Psalms to the praise and the glory of God and see the dominions of darkness being brought into the kingdom of light. Man, it is the gospel that we are not ashamed of, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. That is how we fight. But you are in a battle. And persecutions will come. But knowing and looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, He is the one that gives the victory. And in the very battles that come, He has prepared you for this. And He has trained you for this. And He has equipped you for this. And now the battle is here. And you stand in Jesus. You rely upon Him in prayer. And you feast upon Him in seeking that righteousness. And you're poor of spirit. And you mourn for your sin and the sins of others. And you are meek. And now you, you're hunger and you begin to see this kingdom character is that which overcomes the character of the world. See, it's a great cosmic battle. And it's a character against character. It's a dynasty against a dynasty. There was not a single flaw in Jesus and the world hated Him the most. And you are now the physical representation of Christ here upon this world. As the church united into its head, the body related to the head, the body here upon this world, in that which you now live and dwell, and that will you will receive persecution because you are loyal to Jesus and you are in Him. So don't be discouraged. This is a part of who you are. This is a part of your characteristic. This is a part of this attribute. And the flesh is going to war against the Spirit. And as you walk in the Spirit, the battles will be played out here on this earth and through fallen men. But the battle is beyond that. It is not just that person. It is not just John or James or that. No. It's beyond that. And that is why you can and indeed should and become part of your... You pray for your enemies. 
And you bless those who curse you. And you do good to those who revile you and do evil against you. See, you're going to see this character in the Sermon on the Mount coming through. And that is the way God's name is hallowed. And that's the way the battles are won. It is completely contrary to the natural mind and the way we think. So you cannot yield to the world in defeat, but you also must never delight in their ways. So it is a part of who you are and that of the Spirit as He will use you as an agent of God's providence to convict the world of sin and of righteousness, of judgment, and the world will not like you for that. The great antithesis which Jesus expounded If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See? That's why he tells us again in his first epistle, do not love the world or the things of the world because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Tells us again in 2 Corinthians that light cannot be a part of darkness. In fact, it is the nature of light to dispel darkness. You can't have light and darkness coincide, and, and, and therefore we must come out from among them and be ye separate. And you have become a part of this great cosmic battle. You always have been, but not known it. Now you know it, and now you're on the right side. And you have a place in it to advance God's kingdom over the forces of darkness. The reason before you were regenerate why these kinds of battles did not come is because Satan didn't need to engage you because you were already on the losing side. You were already there. He could just keep you sleeping. That's the best place he can have you is sleeping in your unrighteousness. But once you have been awakened and God has saved you, he has taken you and he has placed you and now you have become a strong and valiant warrior on the winning side through Christ on this great side of the woman, the seed of the woman. And now the battles are going to come. But be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. And yet in this beatitude it says that the love of God will greatly reward you. Isn't that a grace in itself? It's not a meritorious reward. It is a gracious reward. And because you will stand in righteousness looking unto Jesus, He's going to reward you for that. A reward that you do not deserve, one that you really didn't gain, and, and yet it is, you're going to be rewarded. Every time persecution comes and you stand for righteousness, great is your reward and you can be joyful. Treasures in heaven just keep building up because Jesus has overcome the world. That's why Paul ends that great epistle of chapter 8 when he says, For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, he's all speaking about that spiritual realm right there, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. He's all comprehensive and inclusive there. I am persuaded that none of these things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Triumph, no matter what. So judge not the things which your eyes see, but by what 
or by what your natural mind would interpret, but rather seeing with the eyes of faith, understand what is truly going on, and rely on Jesus who has overcome the world to give you victory in the battles He has designed for you. And great will be your reward. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we see so little of what truly is, and yet you have revealed to us in your word, declared the reality, and in the eyes of faith, we trust you. We know there's so much more going on than our eyes can see, so how can we interpret what goes on with our natural mind? But you have revealed to us not only what is, but the interpretation of those matters, and we are to simply to walk in faith trusting and clinging to the captain of our Lord's armies, the Lord Jesus. There are many battles in our lives, battles that destroy our relationships and battles with husbands and wives and families and their children with parents and battles with friends and relationships even within the church. Battles for righteousness where the world seems to lure us and our children with enticements that are like candy to a child, but are poisonous. Lord, we have so many battles that stand against us and so many day by day that we fight and we often go in our own strength, forgetting the nature of the battle and how we are to to go about it. We are riddled and overcome by many fears in this life and yet you do not want us to be fearful for love casteth out fear. We are anxious about many matters, and yet you have declared that if we seek your righteousness first and your kingdom, there is no reason for worry, anxiety. As we come to you and we lay these matters out, giving you thanks, you have decreed and declared that you will keep our hearts and minds sound in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our faith this day and cast out our fears as you strengthen our love, and that you would displace our doubts as the kingdom and your righteousness become our priority once again. You keep us from worrying about the future when it is this day that we need to live, and perhaps maybe this day we die. But whether we live or we die, we die in Christ, and so we die victoriously and we live victoriously. Give us strength knowing that you have decreed certain battles for us, specific ones even for our children, and may we with Christ put on the whole armor of God and know the victory that is ours in Him who has overcome the world. So as we cast all of our cares upon you who cares for us, give us strength in our spirit and strength of character, and we pray that you would be honored and glorified to work in us and through us as instruments of righteousness in this fallen, wicked world. And may we not shrink back from the battles, but may we, with love, overcome them as Christ did. And we pray that you would do your great work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.